I get a kick out of Jesus just sitting there watching him, smiling. It'd been fun to be there, huh? Um, This video portrays the calling of Peter and Andrew, James and John, four Galilean fishermen, to be part of the small crew that followed Jesus for three and a half years. And we think about that happening over 2,000 years ago, and people today, 18 people, 17 people actually, took a step and said, by being baptized, saying, I'm all in. I'm all in. Olivia actually used that terminology. I'm all in. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there's this movement that happened so that today, all around the world, there are people celebrating, hundreds of millions of people celebrating a resurrected Christ. And we're part of a movement that started 2,000 years ago. And sometimes what I don't think we realize or understand is that we have an advantage over that, that starting group of followers. We have an advantage because we have something we can look back to to hang our hats on. And they did not have that advantage. And you can just imagine when they chose to follow Jesus, they weren't sure what was going to happen. And there came a point where they watched their Savior be crucified. They watched their Savior be buried. And when they, that happened, their hope died. They saw Jesus crucified, a despicable, horrific death, shameful. And after he was crucified, after Jesus was put in the tomb, there were no Christians because there was no Christ. The lights were out on their faith. They were brokenhearted. A mom, Mary, I can't imagine her pain. We had a half-brother, James, who had a, I told you so, and probably on his lips, as he was not a believer or follower. And then we had a disillusioned group of most of them very young, probably 20s, maybe even younger, who had been following Jesus for three and a half years, disillusioned, afraid, and even ashamed. And so Joseph Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body, which was unusual. He gave him the body. He said, you can have the body. He and a couple other men and some women got the body prepared for burial, wrapped it in linens, put the the spices on it, is what they did back then, and they put it in the tomb, a, a family tomb, Joseph's family tomb. They rolled across the stone, and they went home because it was over. At that point, they had no hope. They had no belief. And we see Peter in this place making this decision to follow Jesus, and he really didn't know what all he was up for. What I want to make us understand real quickly is they didn't follow Jesus because of his teaching. The Pharisees and religious people didn't get angry because of his teaching or his miracles or his healing. What they were angry about and why the the disciples followed Jesus was because of his outlandish claims. 
He said outrageous things. And so the disciples were hoping this might be the promised one. This really might be the Messiah. He says things like, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. If you see me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He said things like, I'm greater than Moses and all the prophets. He did things like say, I forgive and only God can forgive. He actually told the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, he lived 1,700 years before Jesus, I am. You see, Jesus was being followed because there was this thought he might be the promised one, the Messiah, the, the Savior of the world. They weren't following him for his teaching, and this is pretty important because <clears throat> there are a lot of people that follow different people because of their teaching. But Jesus, if you remember a certain event in John chapter 6 where he feeds the 5,000, you remember uh, the account with uh, two fish and five loaves, you remember that, and they multiplied it, there was, or Jesus multiplied, there's about 5,000 men, which means there's men, women, and children, probably 15,000 people, they have five loaves, two fish, and Jesus gives thanks, he breaks them, and, and he gives them to everybody, everybody gets fed. And then they decide, well, we're going to make him king because kings take care of people. And so Jesus leaves. He's, he's trying to get away from the crowd because he does, it's not time for him to be king. He's going to be the suffering servant. He gets away from the crowd. The disciples end up going across the Sea of Galilee. They get to the other side of Sea of Galilee. And what happens? There's another crowd. <laughs> and so he takes advantage and he starts teaching and he didn't always teach things that were easy to understand. He started teaching and he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And the Pharisees and the religious people, you know, they're pulling out their hair. They're tearing their robes because he keeps claiming to be somebody like God. And so they say, this can't be. We know this guy's dad, Joseph. We know this guy's mom. We know his family. This guy is off. And Jesus, hearing their murmuring, verse 651, he goes on, and this is what he says. I am the living bread that comes down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Disciples are looking at him. So Jesus gets even more offensive. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Everybody's looking at him like, what is he talking about? And the, thin, the crowds start thinning out. The Bible says that many of the disciples turned and walked away. And then Jesus, I'm sure with kind of like a, a, a testing smirk on his face, turns to his disciples and, and says, are you going to leave me too? And I'm sure the disciples like, are, man, I hope Peter bails us out again. He always says something. I don't know what to say. That was really weird. 
eat his flesh, drink his blood. I don't get it. I don't know what to do. Peter, please bail us out. Please, please. Good old Peter. He bails him out. But I want you to know what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, we're following you because you're an amazing teacher. You, you profoundly clarify everything. We understand it. You give great sermons. That's not what he says. I want you to see what he says. Verse 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, they were following him because they thought he might be the one. But now he's dead. And he's buried. They were clearly wrong. And the authors of the gospel are very clear. They're very honest and they're very clear. There was nobody on the, of any of the believers who were waiting on that third day for Jesus to raise from the dead. There was no Christians because there was no Christ. And they all had stopped believing. If we can, if we just pause in that moment, actually, between the crucifixion and the resurrection, what do we have? We have a corrupt, a corrupt uh, religious system. We have an oppressing Roman government still. We have a broken-hearted mom. And we have a group of fearful, hiding, disillusioned, confused Galileans. And there is no hope. I want to say it again. There were no Christians because there were no Christ. There was no Christ. And then something happened. That changed everything. We sing a song I think we'll finish with. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Anybody thankful for that? Jesus, yours is the victory. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. What I want us to get to, and this is something a lot of people probably have never heard, is they weren't celebrating a written story. Christianity did, did not begin with the Bible. It didn't begin with Genesis. It began with an event. I want to talk to you from a more of an apologetic type of mindset because I came to know Christ through processing the reality, is Christianity true? And if Christianity is true, it means that Jesus did raise on the third day. It's the event that started a movement. And hundreds of thousands of people were ushered in to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Rome, the whole uh, city in Jerusalem and Rome actually got turned upside down by this movement of people turning to Christ. And then after three and a half centuries, the Bible comes into being. I think it's really important for us to understand 
The Christian faith began with Jesus, not his birth, however important that really is, virgin birth, not his crucifixion, even though we know that if he didn't die for our sins, we don't have any rights to God. The Christian faith began on that Sunday morning when he showed himself. The Bible itself did not get written until 350 years later. The assimilation of the Old Testament was prophesied about him coming, the Gospels, the book of Acts, and all the rest of the epistles and Revelation were all assembled 350 years later. So here we are, we're reading out of this, and people will say, yeah, but we're, we're reading out, out of the Bible that Jesus rose again from the dead. Yes, we are. But for three and a half centuries, they had no New Testament. It was eyewitnesses accounts. Eyewitness accounts. We have Matthew. Mark. Mark actually, and we're going to finish with Mark. Mark actually got everything he got to write down in the book of Mark from Peter. And we have Dr. Luke, who is a physician and a historian. And he wrote in Luke and Acts that I have researched this with details. I have gone to witnesses. Everything that I write is from eyewitness accounts that are true. And we have John. And probably, probably the most powerful one in my mind is James. Because James was the half-brother that didn't believe. What would it take to convince your brother that you're the son of God? Could it be scars in your hands, scars in your side, and holes in your feet? The crazy thing is James shows up as a leader in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. He got born again. He got converted. And then he died a martyr's death because he claimed that his half-brother was the son of God. And then, of course, we have the Apostle Paul, who started out persecuting Christians, has an encounter with the risen Christ, and ends up being the most persecuted Christian that may have ever lived. You see, our faith does not rest on the teaching of Christ, even though we follow the teaching of Christ, they're important, but our, our faith rests on an event. And, and that's so important because those who follow the teaching of Muhammad and the Quran follow teaching, not a man who still lies in the grave. People who are, call themselves Buddhists and, and follow Buddha follow Buddha's teachings but his bones can still be located in a tomb. People who read the Book of Mormon and follow Joseph Smith's teachings. Joseph Smith is doing what all dead men do, staying dead. Jesus Christ's tomb is, somebody said, is empty. It's empty. And, and don't miss this. The only Jesus story that's worth telling is worth telling because on the third day, he came 
alive. He's alive. And so we have the Apostle Peter is like changed. James, John, Matthew, uh, uh, Bartholomew, and a lot of other people are changed. They become they move from being hidden and fearful and confused to being empowered by the Holy Spirit, giving witness to Jerusalem. And most all of them lost their lives over time because of their testimony that Jesus is alive. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so Peter, for 30 years, he's, he's risking his life telling the story over and over again. He goes to cities, he goes to house churches, he goes to households, he goes to gatherings, to, to, tabern- or to temples, and he proclaims Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is alive, he is not dead. For 30 years until he finds himself in Rome, in prison. Mark, his traveling companion, says it's about 65 A.D., Mark says, we've got to get it all written down. I've got it, most of it, but I don't have all the details. Let's get the details written down. So Mark writes, as Peter tells, the gospel of Mark. And I can just imagine as he gets to the resurrection, Mark says, slow down, Peter. This is crazy amazing. Let me be sure I get this right. And so we're going to pick it up in Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint his body. Why did they go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body? Because in that day, that's what you did. Is you got, went, you lamented, and you re-anointed their bodies because they were still a body. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were distressed. And he said to them, do not be distressed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, and Peter. I get goosebumps about every single time I read that. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Brothers, sisters, uh, if there's one thing that I know is that all of us have fallen short and we all come to that place where we feel like, I don't know if I'm still qualified. And when he said, and Peter, how many of you know Peter needed to hear that? Because Peter was the bold one, and he's the one that said, I will not deny you. I will even die with you if I have to. And then the spirit of fear came upon him, and what did he do? He denied Christ three times. Oh, man, did he need to hear that. Go tell the disciples. 
and Peter. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know if you, if you believe in Jesus. If, if you do, I have this confidence that, that Peter would lean into you and say, way to go. Any sacrifice you're making, any love that you're giving, any witness that you're making, it's worth it. Keep doing it because he's alive. And you're going to see him and you're going to be alive forever and ever and ever. Any sacrifice you make in this life, any suffering you have in this life will not be comparable to the glory in that life. Keep going. And if you're here and you kind of have that place, in fact, there's one young man that got baptized that wasn't too long ago. He said he was an atheist, and now he says, I'm all in. I saw a sweatshirt the other day. Kirk Cameron has a sweatshirt on. He, he, he's a, he, it says, a recovering atheist. <laughs> what, what I want to say is we're all on a journey of faith. But if you're here and you're kind of in that place where I'm just not sure, I'm confused, I, I have doubts, Peter would lean in. And he said the same voice that said, and Peter is now saying your name. I was confused once too. I was afraid once too to be all in. I was conflicted in my heart. I just wasn't quite sure. But then he died. And he said it is finished, paid in full. And he spent three days in the grave, but then he came out. <laughs> and I'm telling you, he's alive. He is alive. He is alive. Death could not hold him down. The grave could not keep him in. He is alive. And I'm just inviting every person in this room a simple message, but apart from believing in Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm talking about relationship. Doctrine's important. But you can have prayed the prayer, you can have signed the checklist and say, oh yeah, I agree with all those things, but if it isn't real in your heart, and your walk, and you're not following Jesus, this is the day to come back. Yes. This is the day to come back. You will never be sorry. I don't know how many years ago, at 21, when Brenda's dad was afraid that she was going to marry a heathen. And he gave me this book, More Than a Carpenter, because I was on the search for truth. Simple book, profound though. The historical event of the resurrection is the proof that Jesus Christ wasn't just the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but he was the King of kings that holds the power of the resurrection. And anybody who believes, if they die, shall live. Let's stand together. Worship team, come on up here. There's a movement going across the earth. I just was reading stories of Muslims giving their lives to Christ in Iran. One of the fastest growing churches on the planet is in Iran. And when they give their lives to Jesus, their lives are at risk immediately. Their finances are at risk, their jobs are at risk, 
Their family relationships are at risk. And yet the fastest growing church on the planet is in an Islamic republic called Iran. And my prayer is the church in America gets so fired up, so on fire for Jesus, so in love, that we're willing to pay the price to see people come to know him. By being witnesses, by being lovers, by serving the church and demonstrating by our love one for another, all men will know. We're going to finish this song, but I'm just going to invite you. If you know that you've slidden backwards, today is the day to be honest with Jesus and say, I can't keep sliding backwards. I got to come back forward. Maybe you're here and you have never trusted in Christ. This is a great day to give your life to Jesus. Let's go ahead and finish with this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.